0: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
1: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
2: Welcome to the Whitetail Legacy Podcast. Tomorrow is opening day. It's morning, didn't have a great hunt. Deer didn't move
1: like usual. We just got set up in the middle this bedding thicket. Saving the spot
0: for the rut. It's a nice, I think it's a nice bug. It's
2: uh, <laughs> a 170. Oh, that was money. I think it's down right up there within 10 yards. Woo!
3: White Tail Legacy Podcast, bringing you back to the hunt and leaving a legacy.
2: Baller rut. It's the rut, bro. Got anything chasing? No. <laughs> Not me neither. <laughs> uh, this is probably going to release Wednesday. You're going to shoot a buck tomorrow morning, which will be Saturday morning. Yep. I'm going to shoot a buck Saturday night of Boonertown. Nice. Uh, then I'm going to shoot Mr. Freeze on the 9th. You're going to shoot uh, Sidekick on the 10th. Then I'm going to go to Missouri for rifle season, shoot a 130, and we're just going to wrap it up for this season. Man, dude, that, that is the best plan I've heard yet. It's my game plan. It's probably not going to happen. Uh, what's probably going to happen is we're going to shoot a couple 18-month-olds. <laughs> and- <laughs> we're going to move on with our lives and say that they're three and a half. That's awesome. My backup plan for late season. Shout out Justin on that. Uh, Here we go. We got Steve Stoltz on this one. Um, We're talking about whitetail tech app. Um, I'm pumped about that app, dude. I I think that it's going to be awesome to look on this. When I have questions that I want some clarification on when I should call, what time I should call, different uh, kinds of calls, different Mm -hmm. setups, um, stand placement, wind direction, moon phase. I mean, come on, moon phase, bro. I mean, another guy to really dig into the moon phase. I know.
3: He's just, he had so much intel. uh, It's hard to get everything out of him because I know, I I mean, I know I'd love to dive into that.
2: So this one, this is going to be a two- Uh, it's another one of those good ones where we break it up in two. So you're going to have to come for the second episode to finish up with Steve. This is also a way to get you guys to come for the second episode. But uh, for for me, an hour of talking and knowledge is hard that's enough for me to retain and take notes on
3: and you want the guy to introduce himself get him get us yeah. credit I mean he's a four-time
2: up. world champion turkey caller I mean you got it he has a long introduction just as himself because he's I mean it's Steve Stoltz he's a legend you know so um, this is the most famous person we've had on on the podcast as yeah of this time this, so awesome shout out to uh got game Tech for reaching out for him coming on yep. um, shout out for Steve for coming on and spending time with us um talking about mr freeze a little bit like we do every episode <laughs> that's the only thing welcome to the whitetail
3: legacy podcast mr freeze is brought
2: up yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> so so uh let's just let's just get right into our partners and we'll get into the episode so we don't yeah. get this intro too long so we're going to start out with the title sponsor the vip veteran broadhead do we do you have the V- VIP veteran broadhead uh, shout-out pulled up? or No, you're not prepared. Yeah, I got it brought up oh, right here. Oh, you got it? Oh, he is prepared. I'm on top of it. Go ahead and start with that. This week on the
3: VIP veteran broadhead shout-out, we have Philip Ferraro. He served 22 years in the U.S. Marine Corps, worked in aviation and the ground side, ret- retired as a sergeant major from the VWM 263, which was the first squadron to serve in Iraq, flying the new V-22 aircraft. Philip, uh, that sounds pretty badass, man. Um, we can't thank you enough for joining the Marine Corps and uh, serving as long as you did. Uh, I'm sure you had to sign up a couple different times, so uh, we can't thank you enough for your service.
2: Yeah, thank you from uh, me, the White to Legacy podcast crew, and both of our families. Uh, for this week, to talk about the veteran, I want to talk about all the other stuff that he has. He has the veteran broadhead, which we love, but he has the hog logs for the guys down south. Yep. He has the Adam broadhead. Yep. He has the guillotine turkey, yep. which we're getting into this spring. I, that's the only, ways, only way I'm killing a turkey is if I cut its head off with a guillotine, calling it out. Not taking a <laughs> shotgun. No shotgun this year. So. It's not he has the veteran broadhead down to a science, but he has so much more with the best customer service around to back it up. The guy will literally call you on his personal cell phone and be like, all right, how can I help you? You're right. not getting some telemark tele-automated thing saying, well, if you bought this in the last six months, <laughs> press one. If not, you're screwed. <laughs>
3: you know what I mean? Yeah. So. Uh, he's calling you direct. Uh, he's really passionate about
2: that. Yeah, and, and big shout out to Matt. We were gonna buy the veteran broadheads for the last episode's giveaway, and he right. stepped up and said, "You know what? I'm gonna send the special gift to these veterans because they deserved it." And he he put the bill for us. Yep. So, big so shout uh, out to uh, Matt you two gentlemen
3: should should thank Matt. Yeah. And uh, you already know that we thank you for serving.
2: So. Yep. All right. Let's get into Ingram's Outdoor Obsession. Uh, he just had a six pointer come in with the unicorn point, sick, <laughs> giant six with a single with a, another third, like a third base. Third beam, yeah. What third are, base, not even a beam, a yeah. third base coming out, and then a double drop time handlebar. I, I can't so. wait to see that. I, I know. Can, I can't wait to stuck. see either of them. I'm ready to go up there. And just dig around in the rack pile (laughs) 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 and look at all this stuff that I wish I shot. Yeah. But uh, a lot of bucks coming in. He said the third week of October was really good. And then after that, it's kind of went down, kind of what we've been seeing. And he said a few ones have been coming up. He said he's been getting a lot of uh, bucks in that want to get a European mount. So maybe not the biggest deer that people shot but Mm -hmm. decent bucks. So he's getting a lot of European mounts in right now. And I feel like that's those three and a half year olds starting to chase a little bit. So he's getting those in and and
3: especially the third week of October. I mean they're Yeah.
2: He's he's uh he said he got some giants in the third week of October, but that's when we had that cold front hit. Right. So I feel like that's got a big part to it. but I love being able to call him and be like, hey man, what, what bucks are coming right? in? Because then I get an idea. He's like, "Oh, some slammers came in, so then I'm like, okay, there's some slammers moving.
3: But props to him for being able to um, accept a double drop time buck, yeah. because I mean people That's have that much confidence yeah. in him to, to bring it back to life.
2: And big shout out to him. He's been doing a lot of filming this year with James, James Wheeler. He said he's never hunted so high in a tree. He said he was 32 foot was what his rangefinder said.
3: Are we talking about the same guy?
2: Yes. Ingrid's been filming Wheeler? Yes. What? Yeah. So Wow. It's pretty cool. He said he got to get out a lot in October, and then he said the bucks started coming in, so he just said, I need to get my ass in the shop, so he just went <laughs> to the shop.
3: Oh, man, dude, <laughs> so, that sucks.
2: But uh, all right. Well, but, that's awesome, though. Yeah. I'm glad he's, so he's running the camera. Yeah, he's running nice. the camera. Uh, right.
3: that, so Zach's hunting hard, I guess. Yeah, I guess awesome. so. Awesome. Shout yeah. out to Zach.
2: Yeah. Got a slammer too. I know. The, chase. Ah. the good thing about running this podcast is I get just trail cam pics all the time. I'm like, man, these guys are. Just, everybody's got big deer this year. Tonight. Shout out to the heater right now. It is ripping. Yeah, the heater f- makes it feel great in here. That that's the biggest improvement that we made besides the mic stands. <laughs> it's like 98 in this place. So uh, last year I was in full, uh, uh like snowmobile suit. <laughs> this year I'm in a. T-shirt out here. All right, anyways, uh, ScentLock. What do we want to cover on ScentLock here? What do we got going on? You know what I like to cover? I like to cover the... Have I covered the gloves? Like this, the early season gloves? So on the early season gloves, so you get like an early season glove on most places, and they don't think... We always say that ScentLock thinks about the details, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So you got a textured fingers on the bottom, right? Right. And then you got the text uh, or phone button... The phone finger pad. Yeah, it's like a sewed little pad, so you can actually wear your glove and use your phone. Uh-huh. Um, I know a lot of people out there say they don't look at their phone, but I, I text homie a lot when we're hunting two different spots, and I'm like, you know, what's the movement like over there? You know, is there maybe a deer possibly coming my direction uh, that I could rattle in or grunt or something or be prepared to look that way? So I like that added feature of the glove touch button, so you don't have to pull your glove off, get your hand cold and then do the texting.
3: And one thing about them gloves, I mean they're they're not built for the the colder temps, but they do keep your hand warm. Yeah. And they're tight fitting. Yeah,
2: they are tight fitting. So and tight I like, fitting with the warmth. I like built how, in. how the wrist is tight. The wrist is tight too. It's not like some gloves how they got that like collar that pops out around your wrist. Mm-hmm. It's tight, so it goes underneath your clothing, so you don't have to worry about your release maybe getting caught up or your string or something.
3: Or you have to put your gloves on first before you put your yeah. jacket on or, yeah. your, or your sweater or whatever to get underneath. To get underneath, yeah. it just goes right in. Yep.
2: Yeah. All right, that's it. We covered them all. Yeah, man. All right, let's uh, get right in here and listen to Steve Stoltz. Uh, this has been an awesome episode for us. and uh, A little
3: awkward beginning oh, because yeah, I to it's one
2: that. of them. Um, it's one of those where he's just talking about <laughs> being a world turkey call <laughs> champion, and I just look at homie, I'm like, dude, you just hit the record. Cody button.
3: just asked a question, and uh, Steve started on a roll, so yeah. he's like, all right we got to start it sometime.
2: Yeah. So we st- we start turkey talk just cuz it's Steve Stoltz and he's like master turkey caller. We had to get that out. But oh, we got him lined up to come back on for a preseason turkey calling yes. tips. I'm stoked about that. My That's going to get gonna me pumped.
3: Be, my pins going to be Yeah. on
2: fire. That's going to get me pumped to turkey call. So so he goes way back in the stories when he was young calling, which is super cool. And then we get into some Whitetail stuff. We get into the app, and then you have to come back next week to get into the rut calling tactics. Um, can you call turkeys and film at the same time? With a mouth call? All day. Okay. all right. I'm just trying to see where you're at, trying yeah. to see
1: where I need to be. So, yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Enjoy, guys. Actually won my first Missouri State turkey calling championship in 1981 of all things um so i was i wasn't uh i wasn't a guy that just rolled in and won overnight um and i kept pecking away and climbing up there and and back in those days uh, my you know the top competition was like uh you know of course dick kirby the late dick kirby and you know walter Parrott paul butsky um the rom brothers um guys like that um hopefully I'm Ray I um just a multitude of, of of legends in the industry and those were the guys I had to try and beat um and then they you know they of course um uh, eventually I got to where I was competing right with them um and placing and winning right with those guys um not as often as I would have liked but that's turkey calling At any rate I my good friend Mark Drury who uh, we'll, we'll go into the history of Drury Outdoors as well, but um, Mark was a good close friend at that time. Uh, back in 1989, I was in his wedding when he got married to his beautiful wife, Tracy. And um, uh, Mark had went to the world championship, was a fierce competitor in 1992 and won in Mobile, Alabama. Talked me into going in 1993. I had never went to the world. I'd been to the Grand Nationals and had some moderate success. Never had won it. Uh, but I'd never had a chance to go to the world championship. And Mossio started putting a lot of money into that calling championship and moved it to Birmingham, Alabama, to the uh, and made it the World Turkey Expo. So it was a big show. And um, I want to say there was close to 50 callers in that uh, first world championship that I went to in 1993 in Birmingham, Alabama, very, very well covered by the media, a lot of money. I I won uh, uh, probably close to $5,000 in prizes and gifts and money. Um, At that time it was one of the bigger or biggest uh, uh, purses given in a world championship. I think it was a $25,000 purse, um, for that 93 world. And I couldn't believe it. I called after first, uh, I believe it was either 47 or 50 callers and Walter Parrott and I tied for first place and I had to beat him in a call off to win my first world championship. And then uh, from there, it kind of started snowballing. actually in the 90s, I did very well. I won the grand national championship, champion of champions at the nwtf convention in indianapolis indiana and um, of course made the top 12 in the grand nationals many many years and um and then i won a world two-man championship with mark drury uh and then another world two-man championship with chris Parrish. um so i've actually got three world titles
2: (laughs) man that's impressive I uh, well, homie loves yeah. turkey hunting. <laughs> I do. Like shooting a turkey is like a one sixty to him. So, you're speaking his <laughs> language. I like turkey hunting, but when you're calling, are you? So I'm, I'm gonna sound really dumb right now, but I know nothing about the world <laughs> championship. So are you using different kind of calls, or what are you doing there?
1: Yeah. So, um, and for those that are listening, if you ever want to watch a great turkey calling change championship, just uh, go to YouTube and uh, type in Grand National uh, Turkey Calling Championships uh, and usually like the, the latest like the 2018 preliminary round and final round should be posted up there on YouTube uh, 2017 um, you can also Google World Turkey Calling Championships and those calling contests will be up there and you can even find individuals calling um, on there um, but you know, in a sense, you can use whatever call you want to use, whether it be a mouth call, friction call, or a combination of whatever it takes to win. Um, judges can't see your call, um, and then when you're done, then they score you. Uh, and some contests, like the Grand National Finals, they'll score you and then turn around, kind of like, kind of like The Voice, where they uh, they have their back to you and score you, and then turn around and and critique you after you call
2: no oh, that's cool so they don't know who's calling and no. number. that's cool yeah
1: not at all no but i i will tell you again for your listeners if you want to learn a lot about turkey calling quick and what a lot of the top turkey callers today sound like your matt van sizes your scott ellis uh, ellis's your uh, uh oh jesse martin uh billy argus i mean the list goes on um if you want to hear your current big name, top sounding callers, just uh, just go on YouTube or Google them, uh, and you'll you'll find them quick.
2: That's neat, man. I've never done that. i want to do that tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Check them you out. You can
1: even you can even check out what old Steve Stoltz sounds like. Just last name S T O L T Z.
2: Heck yeah, I'll do that.
3: <laughs> At what point uh, or what time of the year is uh, this championship held?
1: Well, the World Turkey Calling Championship was the oldest turkey calling contest, I think, in the country. Uh, the year that I won in 1993, so that was the 50th annual. Um, that's why they made it a pretty big deal. So uh, well, now that's been, you know, so now I, I imagine there's been about, well, if I you know, do the math correctly, uh, probably close to 80 world championships now. Um, and then... Now that doesn't mean there's 80 world champions. There's there's quite a few guys that have got multiple multiple championships. Uh, most recently, Matt Van Size from Pennsylvania. I think he's won eight of them, which is phenomenal. Wow. Uh, wow. Uh, probably the most Matt Van Sice is definitely the most uh, accomplished current turkey caller there is in the in the in the industry. And um, and then I think uh, Ben Rogers Lee, the world famous ben rogers lee uh the late ben rogers lee i think he won five or six world championships and then a multitude of people have won multiples you know so um but it's it's it started all i guess back in the would be in the 40s 1940s um and the first world turkey calling championship ever uh was held in mobile alabama and a guy by the name of fred simpson Fred Simpson won that turkey calling championship, the first ever. Of course, that was before we were all born. But anyway,
3: <laughs> I would say when you were doing that in '93, I was three years old.
1: <laughs>
2: you were winning champions, and we were pooping our diapers, <laughs> right? <laughs> so that's uh, uh,
1: I was I I was thirty. want to say I was uh, upper twenties, early thirties when I won that. Um, man, what an accomplishment,
2: like, man! That's so that's super yeah. cool to go down there, like you said. To not really expect anything, and then to win—that that had to be just a rush.
1: I I can tell you I I um I'm not gonna lie to you I, I cried, <laughs> not not on the stage like like uh, a beauty pageant or anything like that. But, <laughs> you know I, I was you know of course tremendously tickled and happy and and everybody was very happy for me. But uh, where it hit me is when the media interviewed me and started asking me how how long and, and how hard have I worked to get to that point? And it just hit me that I actually won a world championship. Yeah. And uh, it, it, it'll uh, I'll tell you, it'll choke up anybody. And I, I think that's that way with any uh, pro athlete, uh, they, whether they're winning the world series or the super bowl, or uh, of course the super bowl Turkey Colin, which is what I won. Um, it, it just, when it, when it hits you, it's very emotional and it's going to, it, it, you know, you all of a sudden realize I, I really at this one time, this one place and time and moment was the best in the in the entire world, you know, so uh, pretty, pretty special and amazing. Yes.
3: When you are the, the first time you call of the day, is it a little rusty or are you just firing right off the get go? Because I know like my first series in the woods when I'm hunting, it's a little rough and then I, then I get the hang of it after the first set.
1: no not you know i've been doing it so long probably not it's almost like um uh but i i will do i i will tell all the listeners that to keep um so i mostly use mouth calls but i use a lot of friction calls as well when i'm hunting i mean you got to use a variety um and i know we're getting ready to talk about deer hunting and deer app but um for turkey calling you definitely got to have a variety of of devices but so i don't I don't um, mess up on my first call, my first mouth call, I should say. Um, I keep a a flat toothpick between the top reed and the second reed. That's it. And I'll put that in there when I put the call away. I'll actually rinse it off in cool water, uh, dry it with a paper towel, and then let it and put that toothpick after I dry it in between the reeds, Just, just the top reed and the second reed, one reed, flat toothpick, break that break that flat toothpick in half and put that flat end in between the reeds and let that call dry with that toothpick in there. And then when you get out in the woods and it could be pitch dark, the turkey's gobbling on the roost and you want to wet that call and make sure you don't make any mistakes is wet that call and slide that toothpick side to side. You can even do it in a pitch dark. You don't, have to hardly, you don't have to see or be able to see, I should say, slide that toothpick side to side, get that top reed loose. Uh, so unseize that top read and you should not make any mistakes with your turkey calling from the very get go.
2: Yeah. That, that's I, a great said, tip. Yeah. That's awesome tip. You say we're going to talk about deer hunting, deer tips or deer calling, but when you got, you got Steve Stoltz <laughs> on the line, you can't not talk about turkey too. It's like, you know, so we had to. I
1: feel, I feel a little, um, I would be risk, remiss to say that, um, I, I, I'm, I don't have a show on out there like uh, Lee and Tiffany, although I know them, Mark and Terry Drury. And of course I helped uh, Mark and Terry start Drury Outdoors back in 1989. And, um, uh, Don and Candy Kiskey, and Pat and Nicole Reeve and all the, all your top television show, uh, uh, personality, Stan Potts. I mean, it, the list goes on, but I've hunted with all of them. Um, and, and, and if I, if i have not hunted with them, I know them very well. And, um, it, you know, Harold and David Knight, Ray I, you know, of course, like I said, the druries, uh, uh Matt Moret, and uh, you know, Dick and Chris Kirby, and I mean, the list goes on and on and on of of people that I that I know, or I've actually shared the woods, shared a tree with. And I, I kind of, now that I look back at my, um, I'm starting to head towards retirement here. Um, and then not so much from the outdoor industry, but just from of course work as a firefighter but I look back at my career in the outdoor industry and I, it's kind of like I've kind of had a like a Forrest Gump career <laughs> <laughs> I, I uh, went to my first turkey calling contest in 1979 and didn't know how to do the kiki key key run and my dad said my dad unbeknownst to me signed me up for the contest I thought we were just going to watch and before we went he told me he said, Steve bring your turkey calls with you and and you know, I was in my teens, uh, probably just, just you know, high school age. He said, "Bring your turkey calls with you." And I said, "How come, Dan?" He said, "Well, I got a couple of guys want to hear you call. I think you call really well." And I go, "Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I'll bring them." So I brought my little package of mouth calls. And got there, and and uh, all these callers, top callers in the state, were there, and I was mesmerized by the sounds. And they were all practicing for this calling contest. And, My dad walked up to me and said, do you you have your calls with you? I go, yep. He goes, good. I sign you up for the contest.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Man, threw you right in the fire, huh?
1: Oh, yeah. Threw me right in the fire. And so that's how it all started, actually. Um, I had been hunting and killing turkeys since 1971. So um, uh, at a very young age, my dad called my first turkey in for me. And then after that, I was on my own and uh, was – Pretty accomplished caller by the time i actually went to my first calling contest but i had no idea i was going to compete well the long story of it is i didn't know how to do the kiki run we never had a fall season in missouri before that and so i had never learned to do the kiki run a part of a major intricate part of the uh, turkey's language uh, i should say vocabulary and I said, Dad. I said, I can't call in this contest. Sir, one of the calls they're asking for is a Kiki key key run. He said, Well, let's go over there and ask one of those guys that's practicing. They'll, they'll teach you how to do it. <laughs> so that's a true story. I walked up, tapped a guy on the shoulder, and I said, Sir, could you help me? And um, he turned around, and looked like a looked like the blacksmith from Silver Dollar City, and uh, he you know he goes, Sure. He goes, what, what's the problem? I said, I don't know how to do the Kiki key key run. My dad signed me up for the contest. Could you teach me how to do it? And the contest now starts in about 10 minutes. And uh, he, he just laughed. He goes, Sure, come out in the hallway, son. And then he took me out in the hallway. He said, Now put your turkey call in your mouth. I put my turkey call in my mouth. He said, Now give me a real high note. And I went, Wee. And he said, Now with that note say P, P, P three times. And I went, Beep, Beep, P-P. Beep, Beep, Beep. He said, Now yelp after that. And I said, Beep, Beep, Yap, yelp, Yap. He goes, no, you're liable to beat me, son. <laughs> <laughs> and uh the funny part about it, I don't have a call with me uh, right now, believe it or not, but the funny part about it was uh, the, the guy that taught me that was none other, than, none other than the world famous, now legendary, uh Ray I. And, and so how lucky was that, that I had Ray I teach me how to do the Kiki run in my first calling contest, and out of 32 callers, took fifth place in that contest, my first contest ever.
2: Wow. So
1: that that was just kind of catapulted me into competing into kind of the limelight as far as the hunting uh world. I mean, when you start doing well in calling championships and winning state championships and of course eventually world titles, uh you're asked to do seminars and you're asked to be on pro staffs and it just starts snowballing. And then in 1989 I was asked by well yeah 1989 that was the year <clears throat> my good friend Mark Drury who I'd been competing and calling and working with on Turkey calls and he he's so smart and intelligent he jumped up there very quickly in 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 the competitive world uh, I mean he went from you know just in a few years few short years from not being able to make the finals in a contest to actually placing in the top five of the grand Nationals and that's how talented Mark Drury was and smart. And uh, he, he called me one day, I was on duty at the fire station, and he said, Steve, Terry and I, Terry Drury's brother, are going to start, we're going to start making hunting videos. Uh, do, do you, would you be interested in helping us? And I am like, "I've thought about it, and I go, well, that, that'd be cool. I'm, it, at the time, <clears throat> I'd already uh, won about every calling contest there was except for the Grand National and World. Uh, So I was really doing well in that and with some great companies at the time in the outdoor industry. And it was like, that would be a new challenge to go out and start getting film of of our hunts. And so I went with them on the very first Drury Outdoor flagship uh, film trip. And uh, I was so impressed with that trip. We actually filmed a turkey kill on that trip. And I killed a turkey off camera because we only had one camera with us. So we only ran one crew per morning. So I, I was odd man out for a little while and I, I went ahead and, and hunted, of course, and killed a turkey. So we came back from that trip so excited about that film kill. I went ahead and bought a brand new camera for my kind of buy-in to Drury Outdoors. Um, and and that's how I started with them. We, we started it in 1989. We We felt like we could do videos uh that would compete with like your will primos and some of your big uh big companies out there that were producing videos
2: man that's incredible we're talking to a legend right now this right? <laughs> is awesome man we we can't thank you enough for coming on because we, we don't get you don't get the chances to talk to people like this at least, especially for out you know an hour you know so
1: well i, I appreciate it um I, I, you know what's what's cool about it, I don't want to fast forward jump over everything on on my history, but I will I will tell you, um uh being with Mark and Terry Drury and of course Don and Candy, Don Kiske and, and, and Jay Gregory and, and that whole group um was, was a phenomenal experience for me. Um uh you know uh so for many years we we produced videos that uh, we felt we're on the cutting edge, and I think Drury Outdoors. Uh, you know, I'm no longer with Drury Outdoors. Um, still very good friends with with those guys. They are the the the. I think the industry leader when it comes to uh, producing outdoor television. And um, at that time, it was video. And one of the one thing I and what I'm trying to get at here is one of the things that we had faced uh, very early in our film career was the Ability to finish to be able to finish a, a, a video, uh, we we had were offered to go into a pen and shoot pen raised deer to finish the, the film, and we refused to do it, and because we wanted it to be in the wild, we wanted we didn't want none of us wanted to hunt in a pen anyway, um, and and not that there's anything against that, I, I know there's a time and a place for that, not so much preaching against that. But we ourselves as a, as a company and individual hunters did not want to take, taint, or take away from the 100% wild, 100% fair chase label. Um, so I, I, so that cost us money, uh, essentially, because there was some years we didn't have enough bucks to make a tape. So we had to wait another year to finish killing a few more deer to finish that production. And that, of course, cost money. But we didn't care. Uh, You know, I was a full-time firefighter. They had their full-time jobs that they did. Uh, Terry was in construction, and Mark was uh, actually uh, in in sales, in outdoor sales, like Mossy Oak Camouflage. He was a sales rep. And so we all had good jobs. So, But I think that was the smartest move in the industry that we ever made, even though it was subtle at the time, but uh, now thinking back, if you look at the uh, integrity that uh, hunting in the 100% wild 100% fair chase uh carries in this industry um it was a pretty smart move on our part
2: yeah the their 13 video i think that's like the most informative yeah that's out there they do an incredible job with that i know they have a lot of shows but 13 is the one that i like the most
3: not not only that but just trying to help everybody else be a better deer hunter uh try to see the way that they do things what works for them what doesn't work for them and they do a very good job of explaining what they're doing you know they everybody calls uh, mark you know the mad scientist um when you get deep on something you know it, it's hard to explain you know get back to the basics to yeah. a point you know but uh they do a very good job especially with their new deer cast app uh they got some very good videos on there so props to them for uh trying to help everybody be a better deer hunter all the way around.
2: Yeah, and props to you from starting starting way, way back, back. with them. So so did you transfer but- right from there to Buckman or
1: No, no, not at all. Um in uh I'd say early 2000s uh somewhere 2001, 2002, somewhere in there. Um I I actually uh, I actually drew outdoors themselves, Mark and Terry. Sat me down and um I, I don't wanna I don't want to badmouth them, but they 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 changed and this was a business decision on their behalf, and I can promise you, I don't blame them one bit for doing it, but I was becoming branded with Drury Outdoors as as the face of the company, one of the faces of the company. It was it was basically Mark, Steve, and Terry. I mean that's that's what it was, or Mark, Terry, and Steve, however you want to word it. And, and 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 they wanted that company to be Mark and Terry. And mm. I don't blame them. I mean, I had no ownership in Drury Outdoors. Um, so they changed kind of how I was going to be compensated and and so forth. Uh, now, I'm not saying that I was happy with it, but I also understood what they were doing. And the first thing that I told them when they announced to me what they were doing, because I was, I was shocked. I, I really... It kind of took me by surprise. But first thing I said to him is, first and foremost, no matter what happens, business, I want to remain friends. And I realized that when you talk about friendship and business, you have to separate those. And sometimes you have to make decisions based on business, not friendship. And so that decision was made. I chose to go. Actually, they offered for me to stay with the show and and produce about one pill. For one of their uh releases at the time it was still all uh video, it wasn't television yet. Uh and I, I did that for a year or two towards the end of my Drury Outdoor Years. And then I had an offer from a television show. And I, I actually went to Mark and Terry. I said, Look, I got an offer for that from this other show. And their response was, if you're gonna work go to work for a, a different venue, different show, then you're you basically need to leave. You know, we, we don't want dual uh which I didn't blame them that they wanted a personality on their series and and really nowhere else, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and again, uh, a business decision that I made and I did, I've never regretted it. I I, I've I've actually, I I count back and and not that it's all about money, but I've, I've made, I made probably way more doing that than I would have if I had stayed with those guys. So, um, but that led me to that. Well, I was with that show for a while and then I went, hunter specialties helped them do videos for a few years and television and then uh then i went to night Hail to uh pradco pradco outdoor brands and uh helped uh them do of course television and, and video of course harold and david were the main two faces in that series uh but i did help every once in a while every once in a while i'd get a hunt on there and 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 uh produce for them and of course was on their pro pro staff paid pro staff and then uh uh, then from Night and Hale, here just, just this past year, I left Night and Hale, and then as we all know, Night and Hale now is no longer uh, manufacturing calls, um, and I kind of saw the writing on the wall with that and uh, was asked to join the wonderful family of Woodhaven custom calls, uh, and it was a perfect fit for me because I'm still competing in turkey calling, albeit not near as much as I as I was at one time, but uh, heck, this past year, I worked very hard with Scott Ellis and the Woodhaven uh, people and actually made the finals in this year's Grand Nationals for the first time since 2006. So, <laughs> nice. Yeah, Still got it. Yeah. Yeah. The old man made a comeback. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's just kind of been my, um, you know, in the, in the video and outdoor industry and the outdoor television, I've really helped with, I've probably helped with more, uh, deer kills behind the camera are, are as many as I have in front of the camera, and I've, I've taken, of course, quite a few deer in front of the camera as well. So, um, very, very blessed career, I can tell you that.
2: Well, we're glad you have you on the line because we need some help killing deer. <laughs> 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 this October has been brutal on us. So,
1: well, so. let's let's talk about real quick a fact that um, I'm going to give uh, my buddy Mark Drury and Terry Drury a plug here. Their uh, uh, deer cast on on um, you can go on uh, Drew Outdoors uh, website and and download their deer cast on your phone and it's a multifaceted app that mainly deals with their predictions of when deer are going to move and when they're not and when is the best times and best type of spot maybe to be in. So it's really really like you said, Mark's a mad scientist and Terry's no slouch himself. They're both phenomenal whitetail hunters and the results show they kill deer that just almost are out of reach of anybody else as far as uh i mean the, the, they supplement their deer with feed of course uh they uh you know manicure and food plot uh uh their uh, their properties manage them very intensely um they're just absolute geniuses at figure at figuring out where to plant, what to plant, how to access, and 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 now they're into putting those airtight box lines in, which is defying the normal realm of what whitetails can smell, and so they're beating the system. And they're and they're and because they're very serious about it and they're very good at it, and uh, they have the resources to do it. And more power to them. I th- I think that they're, they're they're like I said they're leading the industry as far as showing how and, and why. They take those big white tails. They're not scared to teach and tell about how they're doing it. So that leads me to well, the reason why I said about DeerCast is uh, I was asked by dot game tech.com. Uh, it's a company called dot game tech. They've got a Turkey tech app out. They've got an elk nuts app out. They've got a duck hunting app out and they wanted to do a, tur- a, a white tail hunting app. And so they, through scott ellis they scott had told him you know scott of course he's a world champion turkey caller scott uh had, you know they were asking scott if he knew anybody that you know had a good uh reputation and, and, and integrity in the industry for whitetails and scott said well, why don't you call steve Stoltz? and so what this whitetail app is going to be it's going to be called whitetail tech and what it's going to do, it you'll be able to load it on your phone for $7.99, $10.99. I don't even know how much it'll be, but it'll be a small amount. Uh, I don't think they've even released how much it'll be. But you can load that up app on a phone, and you will have my thoughts on everything from calling whitetails to hanging tree stands to taking inventory of your bucks to targeting specific bucks to planning for food plots for success, scouting tactics, tree stand, ground blind, and box blind locations, in-season tactics, doe groups, set control and usage, wind direction and weather fronts, moon phases and how to use those to your best advantage. Uh, the top hauling and rattling, rattling, sealing sequ- sequences. I'll demonstrate on this app and teach, and we will show live video and audio of those deer actually doing those calls. So it's my app, the Whitetail Tech app will be more of uh picking Steve Stoltz's brain on your phone. If that's a good way to put it.
2: That's going to be sweet. Like having Steve Stoltz in your pocket. Like what would Steve do? (laughs) I'm going to trademark that. That, That's what would Steve do episode. So yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, so say this app is, is just say I'm going to go on the outside and say it's ten ninety nine. You download it once for ten ninety nine, and you have all that information. And we will update that information. You're not going to download it; it'll be the same three years from now. Uh, as I think of things, I'll put it on there. Uh, we'll have I said we'll have we'll have other links to apps such as moon phases and things like that on there. So this will be an all-encompassing. Pick Steve Stoltz's brain uh, on how I'm getting these big white tails filmed and shot.
2: Okay, so you, let, let's. Uh, so the app's going to have a, an endless amount of stuff to do, from hanging stands to calling to box blind placement. So let's just dig into a couple of those topics. Um, uh, ground
3: blind, we need help there. Yeah,
2: ground blind. So we're not really big on blind honey. That's not something that we have done a lot. So what would be like the perfect situation for a blind hunting or a blind setup?
1: Well, um, are you talking about a ground blind, say like a pop-up or a a box blind? A pop-up. Okay. Well, first, the first and foremost thing you have to realize when you pop up a blind is why tails will notice it. Okay. So some people are some hunters, I should say, because we're all hunters. Um, kind of overthink it in that uh, the biggest issue with a pop-up line is background cover. So if you put the pop-up line just kind of out in the middle of the field on its own, standalone, you'll get maybe a buck walk by it and kind of be curious about it. But a doe will stand there and stomp and snort and and be very upset that that thing is there because it's new. So that type of pop-up line can't be a pop-up line it's a pop-up line that you put in and let the deer get used to yeah
2: if i'm making sense yeah 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 we uh, we we tucked one into cedars into some cedar thicket and brushed it in had it set up and then we had a high windstorm come through and i was gonna say we need some we need, some, it, we need so. some
3: tips on how to keep it standing <laughs> <laughs> so
2: so we we're gonna actually uh build a mobile blind out of a auger wagon cart so uh, we're gonna have our own box blind created to be able to move in there
1: that that's a smart idea but uh, again if if the blind stands on its own whether it's uh brushed up or um or otherwise uh does especially the big mama doe is going to notice it so you got to let them get used to it if you're going to do a pop-up blind where you're going to hunt that same hunt and for instance uh you know brush it in, in the midday and then hunt it for that evening you definitely. Need to really, really pay attention and make sure there's it's it's blended in with something with background cover. And then you brush in the front as well and make it. And a, doe, a mama doe may still notice it, but I promise you a big mature buck will walk right by it and won't we'll pay any attention to it.
2: That's something that I've noticed. Like a lot of people brush the front in, but they never worry about what's behind it. So I like put it in two, two trees and kind of brush up the front. But so if you, you want, you definitely want back cover. You, that's, that's how they notice Absolute- it the most
1: absolutely and is and and you don't want any light showing through that blind so for those of you that have been blind hunting with no success and haven't been closing the back of the blind in other words you, you you'll you'll take out literally about 50 or 60 percent of your view but your to your back needs to be completely black blackened the windows closed and uh and you'll and and you'll have a lot less chance of them seeing you
3: do you wear black clothing or do you still wear camo while in a pop-up?
1: So the answer to that is uh uh it doesn't make any difference. Uh you're in there, if you you're blacked up behind you, you can wear fluorescent orange or you can wear uh of course, my choice is Mossy Oak camouflage or you can wear uh plain plain black. It don't make any difference.
3: Okay.
2: Um, so we, we talked about the app and you kind of went over it a little bit, but you never really stated why you created it. So, uh, we had that wrote down in our notes here. So why, why did you create this?
1: Well, be, I, I think uh, one thing I want to mention, I mentioned about, I, I went into great detail, detail about Mark Drury's, uh, and Mark and Terry's, uh, Drury Outdoors' uh, deer cast app, uh, we act, I, I did not know he was coming out with that. Uh, and many times as I've been with him. There's some business things he don't disclose, which I don't blame him. And uh, they're sticklers about coming up with something and they don't, you know, announce it or anything till it's released. And uh, by the way, Whitetail Tech will be released within a week, hopefully.
2: Ooh, uh, I'm excited. We'll,
1: we'll cross our fingers. I don't have a date when it launches, but it's very very soon. Uh, so be looking for it. Just go to gotgametech.com www.gotgametech.com, and, and there should be a release date on there uh, for Whitetail Tech. At any rate, um, you know, so our thought was basically just they showed me the Turkey Tech app that Scott Ellis that did. And by the way, if you're into turkey hunting and turkey calling, get that tech, that app. Uh, uh, it's called Turkey Tech with Scott Ellis. It is a phenomenal app for learning uh your calling skills learning better calling skills hunting skills uh uh tips um you know he's picking scott ellis's brain and he's he's a, he's a genius when it comes to hunting turkeys and calling turkeys and and so uh they, they sent me a uh, turkey tech app they sent me the elk nuts app, just another amazing app um, I think they sent me the duck app. I don't know if I downloaded. I'm not a duck hunter, but point is, I looked it over and 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 thought this would be great to do for whitetails, but do it a little different flavor in that more like what Scott Ellis did in that uh, it it's gonna have uh, gonna go over the basic calling and the calls and the and the vocalizations and why you use them and when you use them, but then it's also gonna go in to A bunch of my thoughts and ideas and my theories of 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 getting big deer shot and and so that's where the difference was in this going to be in this app compared to a lot of a lot of other ones out there all right so
2: you just wanted something that was going to be different where it wasn't just a bunch of it wasn't just like the weather it was what what would you do because you've been doing it for years and years, super successful. What would you do in this situation? So it's basically like we have an app that we can just call Steve <laughs> and be like, okay, this is what's going on, Steve. What should I do? So that's, yeah, that's yeah, a, that's absolutely. an awesome idea, you know, to well, have someone that's that vast of knowledge right there where you could be like, okay, I want to set this blind up. Let's go to the blind section. What What's my tips on blinds? And you, and you have an instant too, you know, so you're not Googling something and then going through three or four bad links to actually find something that's beneficial. It's right there.
1: Absolutely. And so my, my thought was uh, someday I would love to do a book, although I haven't shot near the size deer that like Mark and Lee and Tiffany and and some of those, uh, these top hunters uh, have shot. Um, but I don't have, you know, I'm not making excuses. I don't have the resources. I have a small piece of ground that I lease. And I own four acres. I live in, you know, Southern Iowa. Um, And I'm, I'm actually originally a Missouri boy. I moved to Southern Iowa. And, uh, and that's of course where I'm going to retire full time. Um, But uh, you know, I've got 280 acre piece of ground that I have to try and manage. Um, And so when you start, uh, you know, kind of, I guess you could say the working man hunters uh, theory of of big whitetails. Then you can come pick my brain. No, I like um,
2: that a lot. Yeah, know, I, that's I, what we say about juries. I mean, the, they're they're super knowledgeable. I give them that, but me and homie can't relate to them. You know, we we they we don't have the private acreage like they do, and we don't have the age class of bucks, and we don't have ninety does hitting a food plot. <laughs> you know, it's just something we don't see. So I like how you said. You know, this is kind of a the average guy app to where you can look at the conditions, but. What juries normally see on their farm and what I see is a lot different, you know.
1: And they'll be the first one to tell you that. They, they'll they be the first one to tell you that their conditions are, you know, far superior over what many people have to deal with. But that, you know, obviously that is not going to keep us from watching their, all, all their wonderful information that they put out because it's all still true and accurate and correct. And, and then they are very good at getting that information out. Way better than I'll ever be, I can tell you that. So, so that really, what's is what makes this app so special, is it's a way to bring my thoughts and theories out a little bit more than than uh, than I'm able to just being a full-time firefighter. Still, uh, on an actual app, so I, I would I would I would kind of relate it to if I wrote a book, or at least a uh, 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 quick version book, this app would be it.
2: Yeah. And you were saying you haven't shot as big as deer, but my, my big thing is it's consistency. You know what I mean? If you could shoot a mature deer, no matter what its size is, year after year after year, you got something going on. You know what you're doing. You've either figured a piece of ground out or you figured the deer out. You know what I mean? So it's great. Great to shoot a 200. I mean, but if you can shoot, you know, five, six, seven years in a row, you're shooting a mature deer. I mean, you you got something figured out. I mean.
1: Well, and I, I appreciate that, and, and that's exactly and, – and, again, I say this for these the listeners out there because every listener out there that we're talking about knows full well what Drury's have done. Wonderful job, beautiful job. I'm, I'm so very proud of them because I was once a big part of them, of their company, and I helped them take that company to a to, to, the, to the highest of levels, and, and, and then they've just taken that beyond what I could have ever imagined them to do. Um, but they'll be the first one to tell you that they're they're growing their big whitetails to an amazing rate, and, and they're managing them at amazing uh, accuracy. Um, uh, and their results are, are there, but you can't compare it just what you said. You cannot compare it by inches. In other words, if you're taking down six-and-a-half, five-and-a-half-year-old deer consistently, seven-and-a-half, eight-and-a-half-year-old deer mm-hmm. sometimes, and those those older deer are dropping to your bow or to your gun or, or crossbow or whatever your weapon is consistently, uh, then you are just as, success, as successful. excuse me, you are just as successful as uh, the Drurys or Lakoskis or any of them out there that are shooting these 190 and 200 inch giants because you, you're, you're dealing with the same thing. You're, you're dealing with big old mature deer that are tough to get shot tough to figure out that don't show themselves in daylight hours very much at all if at all and you have you know your task is to go out and and get them killed whether they have 135 inches of rack on their head or 170 or 80 it doesn't make any difference if they're an older deer they're just as hard to shoot
2: yeah for sure i i shot a six and a half year old last year and i was just like so over the moon because most of the time I shoot three and a half. <laughs> but I finally right. shot a really nice mature deer and I was like, wow, you know, I finally accomplished a goal and I found where he's bedding, went in there and killed him early October. So it was like mind blowing that it actually worked out. But I'm like, man, listen to these guys for so long. <laughs> finally paid off, you know, waiting for a cold well, front, waited on a cold front, went in there and and got it done.
1: Well, and that's the hardest thing to get across to your whitetail hunter that wants to shoot big deer and that's to change their own hunting tactics uh that's the hardest thing to get somebody to change is 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 getting them to basically look in the mirror and look at themselves and say you are your own worst enemy and 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 when that happens amazing things will happen one of the first things that the hunter will realize if he wants to if that hunter wants to take it from the level of just shooting any deer you're shooting to quality deer management, shooting upper end deer, older deer, Um, not that there's, Hey, there's a time and there's a place for shooting any deer as well, especially when you get kids into hunting, you got to learn how to hunt and and shoot deer. Uh, And you're not going to do it over. You're not going to become a whitetail, big trophy whitetail hunter overnight. So I would never, ever suggest or say that, that hunting, just any deer shooting small bucks is a bad or wrong thing to do. Um, But when you want to take it to that next level and you want to start growing big whitetails and shooting bigger whitetails, which we, which a lot of people do, it's a very popular thing right now. Then one of the biggest changes in your hunting arsenal will be to, to change your hunting tactics from spending a lot of time hunting and a little time scouting to spending most of your time scouting and very little time hunting. And the reason why that, that change happens is because you realize that when you when you get it to the point where you when you climb a deer you know you're going to get a shot at a good one you're not going to be in that tree as much as you were at one time where when you were just shooting and hunting deer and not worried about shooting big white tails you're 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 putting as much time in that tree as you can you know all day all weekend uh every weekend and very little time actually preparing and scouting. And, and again, to transform yourself to making basically reverse it and make it 90% of the time preparing and 10% of the time hunting. That's when your results for big whitetails will go way up.
2: I like that. I've never heard that before, which makes sense. Cause I mean, the more knowledge you have is key, but I mean, I, I put a lot of time in stand, I feel like. So I mean I think but I all I'm always I'm always basing it off when I hunt a lot of public when I don't have access. I mean, I've only put six hours in my best stand, you know, so I mean and it's what November second now. Mm-hmm. So I Absolutely. see what you're saying. When when I first started hunting, it was I'm going you know, everybody used to say you can't kill them on the couch or whatever. So I'd go no matter what it was, you know, cause there's a chance. But now that I have grown a little bit, shot a few nice bucks, I start breaking down everything. And now I'm almost like talking myself out of going. Cause I'm like, ah, it's not, this ain't right. This ain't right. But it's good because if I were, it was in there on the wrong conditions and they win me one time, they could bust and go to the neighbors. Cause I hunt very small pieces, you know? So it's, sure. uh, it's hard to, to hold them in there
3: yeah i was just gonna (laughs) say exactly basically what you just said you know just look at me over the past three years um you know started listening to podcasts started reading a lot more articles you know i want to shoot mature deer shoot some bigger bucks and uh you know this year is really i've finally honed in on it really started to pay off i've had more encounters with uh you know does in bow range i've had more deer in bow range than ever before in just one month so um you know, I think Steve, something you might be able to hit on is just never stop trying to learn and become a better deer hunter.
1: Absolutely, and and uh, to that point, you guys are talking about increasing your sightings, um, and that's because you're spending more time preparing. You're 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 doing the things you're watched and learned uh, either with the Drury's or now, eventually, if you get the Whitetail Tech app with Steve Stoltz, uh, you, you you're doing, you're transforming and not realizing you're transforming point is with mature whitetails you have to make no mistake about this the minute they start feeling pressure your chances of getting them are going to go down so how, how do you how do you combat that how do you keep from letting them know you're there how do you keep from from pressuring them out of your property whether it be 50 acres or 250 acres i, I hunt a 280 acre piece that's basically about the only piece that I hunt now. Um, how do you keep from over hunting that spot? How do you keep from uh, letting those big whitetails know that you, you are, uh, you know, to where you kind of, basically they develop a pattern for you. Um, and the answer is no pressure. So, Sit down and and whether you've got 50 acres or got 350 acres, sit down and start developing a plan. Get your aerial photo out. Go to Google Earth. Go to HuntX or whatever that is, that that app that uh, you can get hunting property on and the names of the owners and all that. And start, start really, really looking at your property as an overview. And look at it. As if it's the first time you've ever looked at your property. You might have been hunting your, you might be in hunting your property your whole life. Look at it from a different perspective, and start looking at where your your sanctuaries could be, where your bedding areas are, are your travel corridors, your structure, and start trying to develop game plans for accessing a very uh, very low key access for. Um, what many people don't take in consideration is how they're going to get out of there without spooking deer. You start, start developing a completely rewrite the game plan. It's it, be like a coach and head a head coach in football that's consistently losing and they get fired. Well, if they get hired again at a different football team, they're not going to go in with the same game plan. So, set set your map down your aerial photo, whatever you got, and start figuring out a completely different way how to approach that property. What winds are are correct? How to get into stands without being detected? And guess what? You'll start realizing there's a lot of stands that you just can't get in and out of without being detected. Now you either A, take that stand out, or B, I would suggest leave it in and only hunt it maybe one time at the right time of the year. Do not overhunt that stand. Conversely, your stands that are out on the perimeter and your stands that are easy to get into without bumping deer and easy to back back out without bumping deer, say, out of a feed field, whatever, those stands you can hunt more frequent and and get into without disturbing deer as much. Therefore, you can hunt them a little more often. You start dissecting your property to, to, to hunt it on the low pressure side you'll get way better. You'll start getting way better results with seeing big white
2: tails. Yeah. I got a stand like that. That's in the center of my property and it's just mega good. It's on a good Oak flat. It's in a huge, big Oak tree. That's just gorgeous. And I used to go there early and hunt. And then this year I was like, no one's going to, I haven't been in there since February when I checked on the stand during shed season. (laughs) So, so I'm like, I'm not going in there this year. And then I'm going to, Probably send homie in there because I'm going to hunt my, like, my for sure stand. That's always (laughs) good. So I'm going to send, this one's good too, but I'm going to send him in there here soon and be like, all right, man, you'll be able to find this stand. It has been, I mean, it's maybe 15 acres that hasn't been touched in a 15 acres of solid timber that hasn't been touched since February. There's some, there's some deer bedded in there. I guarantee it. And hopefully there's a a big one that's going to push a doe up in there. That's my plan. Push a dough up in there in that secluded spot that he knows. And one thing to add to that, I, I'm after a giant buck that everybody on the <laughs> listening to this podcast knows, right? And since I didn't access that stand this year, I never have had pictures of him in mid October. This year, I got pictures of him mid October. And the only thing that I changed was not accessing that center of that piece. So. I well, th- There you go. Yeah, I think that he's feeling more secure there. So he's
1: He absolutely absolutely he is and and um so what what state are you in? Illinois. Okay, so basically that's a stand along around uh, November 8th or 10th. You go get in it and here and and you take a lunch. And uh uh you know, old fat boy here needs to eat. So <laughs> if I got a stand like that, I I uh I pack some food and uh I'll burrow in. But I promise you that may be the only day I hunt that stand. If I don't get a good one shot out of there, I usually don't go back. I mean, not that you can't, but uh, you, you that's just the type of spot. Too many deer uh, will know you're there after you go and hunt it.
3: So with a stand like that where deer could possibly come from, you know, 360 degrees, um, <clears throat> are you just playing the wind for where the deer are most likely to appear because, I mean, just like Cody said, it's in the center of his property. And then I'm also thinking of a stand that I got, um, you know, almost 360-degree possibility. Um, are you just putting your your weight on what's most likely to happen?
1: Yes, I'm putting my weight uh, on the, you know, basically I'm hunting it on the uh, wind that is uh, – Let's just say the, the lesser of all evils, if that makes sense. Um, <clears throat> there's two ways you can you can look at that. Either you can hunt it, wait for a day where there's no wind and you're just dealing with thermal currents. The problem with those type of days in a stand like that is something can win you anywhere around you when they get close. Um, and you don't know exactly what your thermals are doing. By the way, sidebar, uh, I'm a big code blue. I love code blue, I love code blue products and use them. Um, I helped Code Blue develop a product called a smoke detector, and it's a wind checker. And it's basically like cigarette smoke in a bottle, but it don't smell like cigarette smoke. Um, and you can, you if you check your when you don't have hardly any wind, constantly check what your thermals are doing. And the only way to do that is with that smoke detector by Code Blue. I'm gonna and check it, that out. Yeah, it'll actually it'll actually show exactly that smoke will just flow exactly how your your uh, thermal currents are are traveling and 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 wind currents and wind direction is something if I do ever do a book uh, I I really will will spend a lot of time in dissecting what exactly winds do and why deer win you when they shouldn't be and why deer don't win you when they should be yeah that'd um, be awesome yeah
2: yeah you should do that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I need that intel man <laughs>
1: well we're gonna we're gonna cover a lot of that in the whitetail app as awesome. well so um but the main thing is the take-home point in here is i would choose the lesser wind of all evils and hunt it in a steady no less than about five to eight mile per hour in particular 10 to 12 mile per hour 15 mile per hour steady wind and that way you know you're done that one direction but the other 75 80 degrees around you you're good, and that wind is not going to be variable and change. That's when I would choose to hunt a stand like that.
2: Yeah, the my, my particular stand, if I have a straight west, I blow into a very deep ravine and then kind of blows me up out into a feed field. So I feel secure in the morning blowing into that ravine because I feel like the deer are already past that area or, or they're already past the feed field and they're going to be coming in. So they might be edging me, but they're not going to be directly on my wind and then in the evening it's right where the bedding area where i shot my buck last year that came out of so that's to east of me or west of me i'm sorry on a west wind so if they come out there and actually shot a buck with a shotgun uh five years ago that actually came out of there chasing a doe so it's been a really good stand but like i said like you said not pressuring is key because i've seen that this year where a a buck that i believe it's got to be six and a half right which one's right. the freeze? Yeah. I mean, he was 173 last year, and he's a little bigger this year. He's a giant deer. Blessed to be able to chase him. And he's he's on my property, center of my property in the middle of October, which has never happened. But I used to hunt there a lot, a lot more than I have. I used to go there and pull cams. I didn't even run cams in there this year because I was like, I'm not going in, I'm not doing that. So from listening to the guys like you that say, don't do this, I'm finally like... <laughs>
3: I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it, finally.
1: <laughs> well, so. that's, you know, that's the hardest thing. Again, I'm going to reiterate, that's the hardest thing to get hunters to change is their own hunting tactics. The hunter loves to hunt, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the hunter, the hunter us, uh, us as hunters, were raised, um, you know, hunt hard and, and hunt often and, and, and put the time out there. And and yes, that is all good. But if you're going to consistently take big mature whitetails, you got to be way smarter than that. You have got to change your hunting tactics to preparation, 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 and boom! Right conditions, right stand. It's time to hunt. I have the right wind. I have the I have a, I have a high pressure system coming up. Barometric pressures. You know, pegging 30 or, or, or above, which is great deer movement, uh, barometric pressure. You have, uh, you know, good, you know, say, northwest wind and you need for that stand. And it's steady at 10, 12 mile an hour. Uh, perfect conditions. Timing. You have November 8th or 10th, say, they're starting to get into lockdown or they're actually breeding mm-hmm. the estrus does. And so you want to be in that security cover. All those things line up to go hunt that stand and 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 it might be the only day you hunt that stand but you'll get a good one shot that day because of all those conditions where before the the pre-trophy whitetail hunter before before you were hunting in a big in a big mature whitetails you would go every chance you got even though you waited for a northwest wind to go tromp into that stand and hunt it and that just absolutely kills your chances of shooting uh, big deer the more you hunt spots like that that can't be approached or reproached when you leave the stand without being detected by whitetails
2: i feel you there that we that's one thing we really worked on this year was access we changed our access completely to two or three different stands and uh one stand is just one of those stands like you said that you have to be in there the access isn't perfect but you got to be there right but right. we we've uh we want to pull that cam so bad because <laughs> we had Bucks Daylight in uh, uh, the last cold front on the 18th. 18th, 19th, yeah. yeah. And uh, we haven't went back because we're like, we need the perfect wind to go get that cam, and we haven't had that. And then we're like, well, let's just pull it when we hunt. So we're going, you know, and we, we've hunted it one time for yep. a couple hours, and then the wind switched, so we got out of there. So that's one of those that's going to be key. It's on a a natural scrape tree out in the middle of a CRP field. It's a, it's a perfect set, but we haven't hunted it hardly at all because like I said, listen to guys like you and finally saying, you know, I want to go hunting. So, well, I'm going to go to public ground because well, if the wind's questionable there. I don't really know where the deer are going to come from. So I'll just go out here and hang a set and hunt. Cause we're still young. i I'm, I like to go out there and hang a stand and think I'm going to shoot a big deer (laughs) and never do, you know, but one day it'll work. One day it'll work.
3: But just going back to the, (laughs) going back to the scrape tree, um, you know, early season, we didn't have any deer daylighting Yeah, and we knew we could tell that it was a scrape from last year. So we're just trying to wait and see if it was going to get fired up again. Mm -hmm. Um, we hadn't had the perfect conditions. So we had just kind of taken all the intel that we had and said, you know, as much as we want to go in there, we can't. Yeah, because it's just gonna get messed up later. So, and then one thing you had mentioned, Steve, is you gotta wait for the right timing. We know the rut, or you know, pre-rut and the rut. We're thinking it's gonna be a money spot. So we yeah, just don't want to burn it checking up. Checking
2: that scrape during midday, especially once does start coming in estrus oh, yeah. and hitting it, because there's a ton of does hitting it on cam. So when they start leaving their scent on that scrape, I guarantee us a big boys to be checking that. So,
1: well, and and you just you just mentioned the frustration that uh, many hunters that hunt big white tails uh, have. And that's sometimes you just can't hunt. Sometimes, sometimes it means you gotta just go uh, maybe do some scouting from a distance, go check other trail cams that the wind is right to go get in them, get to them and check them. And uh, many times what I do is I'll use those trail cameras for next year's information. I'll use this year as a great example. I'm just use this as a little example. I got 280 280 acres, and I usually run, oh, anywhere from six to 10 trail cameras on that property in different sections. Most of them on the food plots. I've got four different food plots on on that farm. Um, And and then I got them on scrapes. And then about four or five, i have in the in the heavy timber on 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 ridges in uh, near security cover and travel corridors near security cover all those spots are tough to get into and check those trail cameras so i don't i don't check them i i i you know when i check them after the season and so i use all the information that i got from that camera for the year that year and or for the next year and the year after um i will not travel in and pull those chips i put the highest memory chip i can put in there i use cameras that usually only take four or eight double a batteries and they last forever and one of them is a maltree m80 love them um they just last forever and they don't hardly wear the battery down uh, i also uh, love actually uh, 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 a camera called a, a It's a, it's a $99 Bushnell at Walmart, actually, um, takes four batteries and it's, it, it lasts forever. And then I don't, even if it runs out of pictures, out of cart, out of, uh, 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 pictures, um, then I'll pull and I'll study those trail cam pictures. What, you know, when they started visiting the scrapes in there and when they started actually showing up in daylight hours and when they started moving in the mornings, as opposed to just evenings or in, throughout the night. And um, I use that intel for future years, not for the year that I'm hunting, especially when you're hunting a smaller piece of ground. So, um, and, and that's and that's very important because remember we're talking about not letting a whitetail know you're there. And just walking in right now, this time of year, uh, November 2nd, uh, just walking in to the middle of your, your thickest bedding cover and checking a trail camera, could blow your whole hunt for that whitetail that year. Um, so I mean, it's that it 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 can be that uh, uh, tedious when it comes to. Food. Now I will say this: there are times of the year that all bets are off when it comes to pressure, and that's most of that is usually right before they come into estrus, and when they're in estrus, when the does are in a lockdown, and then you need to turn your attention to hunting does and hunting the doe travel corridors and the doe bedding areas. And then there, you could actually have run out a buck that you were uh, previously hunting uh, when he was in his still in his little home core area, and then he'll be back in there because a the doe is, is breeding. So don't don't always lose hope that just because you had a, a one of your target bucks win you or you blew him out of his bed or whatever that you still can't get him shot. But uh, uh, bear in mind that they they will take very little of that of that uh, uh,
2: disturbance. Yeah, you mentioned that Moultrie. We, me and homies, ran pretty much every cam that's out right now. We got, we got forty dollar cams to one hundred fifty, two hundred dollar cams. Uh, we, uh, but the the Moultrie's video, is primo. We started running some on video, and there is nothing that has beat that Moultrie video. Nope, dependable. Yeah, every time the battery lasts forever. Yeah, we run we run the lithiums in it, but. I mean the one on the Moultrie set. We we got a, a camera <laughs> hung right on the tree with a stand in it, and uh, we've had four shooters there, but all all at night. Mm-hmm. But uh, mm-hmm. it's a uh, it's been running for a long time, and we've yeah. had no problems uh, with it at all. So,
1: well, <clears throat> well I'm going to cover this in in the Whitetail app, but real briefly. Let me let me just expound on the on something you just mentioned about getting shooters on trail camera and albeit the pictures at night one of the biggest mistakes i think that the hunting industry is missing at least the uh tri- and i'm good friends with uh and i at least i know dan moultrie very well i and he knows me very well um wonderful man and then they back their product 110 i would Highly recommend Moultrie anything. In fact, I have a Maltree mobile on one of my one of my uh, scrapes right now. On one of my yeah, we got here. I got the Maltree mobile on the
2: on the bedding cover right now.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, I yeah. love it, love it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't have to go in and disturb it. And it uh, those batteries, like I said, it lasts a long time. Yeah. But anyway, um, one of the one of the things, key things that you said is multiple pictures of big mature deer, and they were at night. Well, I can I can tell you this, and and listeners, please write this down. If you're getting pictures of a big mature buck on a camera, he's not living more than a hundred to two hundred yards from that camera. He's 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 not moving much, whether it's daylight or dark. And if you're getting pictures of him, he's right there. He's and then that's the amazing thing. What what I find out, uh, and I talk to hunters that check their trail cameras. And they can't figure out, they're, they're going in and they're pulling a chip every other day or every couple days. They're probably not paying attention where the wind's going when they go check their chip, which is very important. You've got to have the wind blowing from the bedding cover out to you uh, before you check your trail camera. You don't want to bust anything that's bedded uh, near. And I can promise you, if you're getting pictures of big mature deer, there is a good chance that big buck is literally living Within eyesight of that camera, living his life within eyesight of that camera. Think of that. And if you start treating that trail camera like that, when you you'll you realize when you're starting to get big pictures of big deer, I don't care whether it's two o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the afternoon. If he's showing up on that camera, he's right there and he's living there. And especially early in late season, especially. Um uh, the rut, a little bit more out, all, all bets are off, especially during the peak of the rut. But I promise you, 90% of your bucks like to hold tight. They're not wanderers. All bucks have different personalities, just like uh, humans. Some bucks will will live all their life in a little tiny spot. Some people will live all their life in one city. Some people will move away and work all their career and then move back when they retire. Big whitetails do that. And some people will move away and never move back where they came from. And some, a few big whitetails will do that. So the... A, a, a big whitetail's uh, traits and tactics are very, very similar to humans, but I would say the majority, the vast majority of your whitetails are homebodies. They, they don't travel far, and they don't want to travel far, and they, and they won't, and so if you just get in your mind that you're getting pictures on that trail camera and treat it like that deer is bedded 50 yards from that camera you, you, you'll have a lot higher success with killing deer based on MRI, which is most recent, most recent information.
2: That That's awesome, man. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I never really think about that. Cause I, we get, you get those, you know, midnight, two o'clock bucks, and you're thinking that they're traveling a long ways, but that makes sense early season. Why? I don't know why they would have to travel that far, but that's just, I think that's what people is like said. So that's what you believe. But what, what do you think about if you just get like, um, you maybe get like two or three picks of them a season from that cam. Are you, are you saying it's like if you're getting consistent picks of a buck on that cam, or if you're just, if it's just random, like you might get one, like the 18th of October and then a little later, or do you think he's still living close to that area? Or do you think he might've just took a different route that day?
1: No, I, I think if it's early season, he's still living right there. He's just not walking past that camera much. I see. Uh, again that's good um, to know
2: man that's awesome to know because i trying to figure this buck out that i got and uh i got him on one cam that i've never got him on before and on the multimobile mobile actually uh on a wind that i couldn't hunt three minutes before shooting light and my stands just right down from there so he's headed that way and then uh a few days later we actually got him maybe 200 yards away from him on a different cam so that makes sense and it was uh maybe five days later so he's, he's living closer than I think he is.
1: Absolutely. I, I, I also, uh, believe that trail cameras are misused in, in information that's right there, but, but hunters are not reading that information correctly. And one of the things you talked about earlier where the buck was showing up at like in, in, uh, certain times a year and then not in others. And that's might be that trait of that buck. he, He may, every year, like to frequent that area in the month of October, checking on the doe doe groups there, and then move off to actually breed in a different area. So, And and those traits you can pick up by year after year of trail cam pictures of that buck. Boom, you got him on a small food plot near his bedding in in October 2nd. Boom, you got a picture of him on October 10th, same food plot. October 15th, October 20th. Now on October 25th, you start getting some different bucks. November 1st, no, that buck don't show. November 15th, that buck still hasn't showed. November 30th, that buck hasn't showed. That buck just told you exactly what you got to do to kill them. And what you got to do to kill them is make the, get the right wind, the right conditions, hopefully a cold front in early October on that food plot near that bedding area, and you'll get them killed. And if you don't get them killed before about October 20th, you probably won't until late season. Well see you, I- you see you see my point? Yeah.
3: Yeah, and I think I mean just throughout podcasting here um you know all the listeners know but Um, you've called, you know, you said that you're probably not going to have a decent shot at Mr. Freeze until the last weekend of November Mm -hmm. till the first weekend of December because of the history of him on trail cams. So, you
2: know, that just plays into right here. Yeah. My only daylight pick of that buck was November 27th with a yearling doe going right past my stand. And then I got one edging daylight last year, uh, December 3rd. So not very far away, uh, going right past another one of my stands, <laughs> but he was edging daylight. And that's that stand that's in the center of the timber that I said that I haven't went into at all.
1: Which which part of November?
2: Uh, November 27th. He was with a yearling doe right on the okay, edge of a field. Am,
1: what about the other time?
2: December 3rd. Uh, December 3rd, right so, like 10 minutes after uh, day or shooting light, he was... Uh, right by that stand in the center of my piece. So I think I have a, a theory <laughs> pinned down, <laughs> but I put a trail cam there where I think my theory might have worked, but he hasn't showed on that trail cam yet. But
3: but we've had him early season, which Cody's had him yeah. early season um, the last couple years, yeah. even, maybe three years, but yeah. definitely the last two. But, you know, like Cody said, he's always disappeared, um, you know, late September, and hasn't showed back up until around Too late Thanksgiving. November, yeah, yeah. So this year uh, we've we've got cams in a different spot, and we've got him on cam in October,
2: hitting a scrape tree uh, that that's been hit repeatedly year after year. So it makes me think that he's been hitting it more than I thought. But I don't I don't know. Maybe I could ask you. Uh, juries say a lot of people say when a buck gets older, their home range might shrink. Is that something that you've noticed also?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. If they're going to wander, it's going to be one or two and a half, three and a half, and maybe four and a half. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So I
2: think maybe, maybe his, since there's less pressure this year, I haven't walked in that part of the timber, better access, better access to the stands that I have. Um, and then not hunting the, that property near as much, spending more focused on the le- the public. public and the other piece. And then, um, the fact that, he's there now. That's all going to contribute. That's got to contribute to where he would most of the time be gone. Now he's there. And it's people like Steve, that's been saying this to us for 10 years, but right. we just haven't been listening. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> well,
1: two things that come to my, to, to my mind, obviously you're doing all the right things now, which is probably why you're actually not kind of pressuring them off your spot. Um, <clears throat> that, that could be one thing. Couldn't, Second thing could be you just could have been missing where his October range was till now. Um but what I wonder is if you're seeing him in October why weren't you hunting him in October?
2: I've never seen him in October until this year. And
1: Okay, so so if you don't get him shot this year, you know more than likely in October next year he should be frequenting you know, if you, if you treat your, if bottom line is this, if you treat, you, you play your cards right and don't for some reason get them shot this fall, I think you've set yourself up for a great uh, hunt with him in October next year if you don't let them know you're there.
3: Yeah. Is that, oh, so 10 minutes after shooting light, like you said. Yeah, that was And a then Simba the other 30. one was 4.30 in the morning on the scrape tree. Yeah,
2: that was 4.30 so, in the morning.
1: Don't put too much stock on those times. Okay, I'll yeah,
3: that was going to be my question. You know, that those are the times that we're dealing with here but, in October. I mean, really,
2: from where I think he was betting, <clears throat> I mean, I mean, the way he came in, I was
3: like, he would have to lay up till three yeah, in the morning. He'd you know? had
2: to lay up a long time. Well, yeah. he could have fed right in that field, for, yeah, and then just decided, and then just to, decided to work that well, way. Well, let's go work this scrape. You know, but that, this is all we think about is this deer, <laughs> if you can't tell. Uh, I've let homie onto my piece this year. He has full range on mystery freeze if he sees him. Um, I got, we found the sheds off this buck last year, uh, literally 80 yards from my buddy's house <laughs> that hunt that lives out there. So I got, I'm emotionally attached to a deer, which is not smart to do, <laughs> but but I am, so.
1: Well, let me, uh and, I, and, I, and I'll and suggest this. Since you know you, you know that deer's personality, you're really starting to develop a, a – uh, and this is what Mark Drury is so uh, intelligent about. And I'm not saying I'm not intelligent about it, but I mean Mark is just the best. Next uh, level. Yes, he's the next level because he files all that information in his mind for a multitude of different bucks. And he don't forget any of those little – I mean, you and I'd have to write it down or put it on a, you know, on a word processor or something that uh, notes or something to remember all that stuff. But what I will tell you this, um, I would try <laughs> for Mr. Freeze, um, uh, and see if this don't work. I would try completely removed from where you're wanting, thinking you might get them killed, but, a, a nearby doe travel corridor or, or dough bed. Um, It sounds like he really, really is dependent on doe travel and is with with does, in particular,ly uh, around by about the 20th of November. Um, So I would not be scared to still stay away from the spot that you think you'll get him killed at, and 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 try, just try throwing up a stand or two on some doe groups not far from there, and just see if those does don't bring him by.
2: That's a good tactic to, to think about, like back there in the very back corner where I'm talking about like that creek draw in between those yeah. two betting areas. Yep. Throw so a stand the back there and and I'm not gonna be pressuring his area and I could still hunt.
3: On the on the corner of the field?
2: No, way back on the back. Oh. Yeah, way back on the back. Way back. Yeah.
1: Oh boy.
3: That's yeah. one of them one
2: timers. Yeah. That's a
3: one Yeah,
1: but 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 here's the thing. Um he is he's told— <clears throat> he's already told you, excuse me, he's told you several different ways to get him killed. One is obviously uh, on a food plot in October where he's telling you where he's liking to bed in the bed in the month of October anyway. And then he's told you where he's liking to frequent with the does and what time of year he loves to be with those does. So wouldn't it make sense if you're, if you're waiting for the right time to get in that tree? In the meantime, if you want to try hunting them once or twice, Go to different doe groups around that area. Um, hunt just like you're going to go try and kill a doe, and uh, see it, see if one of those does don't drag him past you. you. You may you might be surprised. Yeah.
3: What do you think about getting radical? You know, trying something that you've never done before, or setting up in a just a random spot that you think he might be traveling to.
1: That's that what, would that, be safe. That would. Be that would safe. be safe. Yeah. Yeah. So you're talking about basically hunting an observation stand?
2: Yeah, an observation stand that you could possibly kill. You're not 100%. You know your wind's going to be fine. So what the scenario is, is (laughs) there's a screen house that the people built on this property in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of timber. And I can get on top of that screen house and glass where I think he's traveling looking for does. And I feel like I'd be safe. I feel like the wind would be perfect on a straight north. I would No wind would spook at that point. And I'd be up high enough overlooking a ravine that is pretty nasty that I've never had a stand on that I think he might be bedding in a lot. And I think what he's doing is I think he's pushing does into a certain area and then holding them up in like a little five-acre piece and then breeding them there. And then leaving because when I walk it during shed season, it's just tore. This little acre piece pieces just tore up and I find sheds in there too. So I know that there's big bucks like that area. So,
1: And uh, I guess I'm, I'm confused. What kind of house is it?
2: It's like a, it's like a <laughs> basically where they like stored stuff. They, they used to go out there and like have campouts and stuff. So it's like a, ha- it's like a building, but it's just screened on the outside, oh, it's like, but it's got like a, like a shingled roof.
1: Okay. So it's like, a outdoor recreation, uh, screened in porch.
2: Yeah. But they haven't used it for five or six years. <laughs> so it's like grown up and, and, um, you know, there's trees down right by it. It's, it's kind of a disaster area, but I can get up on top of it very easily and then have a 15 foot visual of what, you know, all that timber.
1: Yeah, I, I guess um, my my next question would be, why wouldn't you um, have a stand
2: there? Yeah, I just, I never, I never, I haven't seen a lot of deer travel there, I guess. But I've always hunted to the south of it or toward the north of it, which is the deep end stand that I haven't been to yet. But see, right. the, the deep end stand is where he, I got him going towards that area headed South to North and that stand would have been North of where that picture was taken. So I feel like he was bedded South of that, that day. Cause I don't see him getting up December 3rd and traveling very far in the daylight. If he didn't have to, cause it was seasonably warm too last yeah. year around that time. Right. So he wasn't, it wasn't cold and him getting it was like up almost 50. Yeah. It was like 50. <laughs> so,
1: well, the, the bottom line is that that certainly is an off the wall tactic and that wouldn't hurt. I just would. Um, I, I mean, I, I guess several factors enter into that and that is they're not always betting the exact same spot every time. Um, you remember that, I mean, they do, they do kind of random randomly bet in a sense. Um, and if they're still with does, they're, they're going to bet where the does bet are going to, you yeah. know, tend. um, I, 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 my, just listening to that whole scenario, I, my thought would be, you know, go in and hang a climber or hang a stand and, 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 and hunt if you're going to go there. Yeah. you just want to make sure you stay back and don't disturb anything. Yeah. Um, But I think December 3rd or November, whatever time you're going to go in there, that's not the time to be, uh, observing. I think you need to be hunting them.
2: Yeah. that's right that's right i mean he daylighted so he was feeling pretty confident i mean he was on the edge of a going to the edge of a field at nine in the morning with a doe so
1: yeah but i mean based on that one picture that's probably just because he was following he was tending a doe and that's where the doe taking him yeah so again i would not try and be so finite as to where you exactly need to shoot him and just generally Hang this, go in and hang, observe from a, from an observation stand, not far from that screen porch area, but in a doe travel corridor. And and one of those does, uh, very liable to drag him by you.
2: All right. Well, I, I appreciate the pointers. Uh, I tend to do this on every episode. <laughs> we revert back to Mr. Freeze because the reason I named him Mr. Freeze is because I've frozen a stand repeatedly late season because that's when he likes to show up chasing this deer for the last three years. So I named him Mr. Freeze, and then uh, he actually became the Batman Mr. Freeze (laughs) (laughs) picture of when I talk about him. That's what pops up, so...